Hey there, welcome to Motos and Friends, a weekly podcast from the editorial staff at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This week we have two treats for you. Firstly, senior editor Nick DeSena talks to us about the all-new Ducati Monster. Now, this is a slightly controversial new bike. However, it is supposedly dramatically improved. Nick tells us all about his thoughts on whether the Monster lives up to its considerable heritage or if Ducati have missed the mark. The second segment talks about education. Yes, I realize there's likely a collective groan when we talk about schooling, but I can promise you, motorcycle training classes are major fun. Really. So this week, I get to chat with one of the best out there. Nick Einach of YCRS is a motorcycle racer, journalist, and for our purposes here, he is the founder principal and senior instructor at the Yamaha Champions Riding School. Nick has a very impressive resume and he's been teaching motorcycle riding techniques for a couple of decades, so he's pretty much got it down. I experienced his teaching methods back in around mm, 2004 when I attended the Freddie Spencer Pro Racing School, as it was called back then, and I was impressed. Needless to say, things have come a long way since those days. I caught up with Nick and picked his brains a little. He gives us the lowdown on what they teach at the YCRS and why it is so well worth going. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, well, uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's talk about, you recently attended the, the Ducati Monster launch. Little bit of a controversial bike from what I've been reading. What, what were your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a big departure from the traditional monster as we know it when it was released in 1993. Um, it's always been a twin cylinder engine shoved inside a sort of super bike derived chassis, which at the time in 93 was the, the 888 Ducati frame, if I remember properly. So anyway, Charles frame, and that's sort of the the big um, issue with people on the internet is that uh, the new monster does not have a trellis frame, which has saved roughly 10 pounds by, by going to the more modernized uh, Panigale style front frame design, which uses the, the engine as more than just a stressed member. I mean, the, the engine is essentially the chassis because the front frame attaches to the, the engine, the swing arm is now directly attached to the engine, and then the subframe is attached directly to the engine. So this saves a great deal amount of weight. And because of that, it's also changed the aesthetics um, considerably. So that's been the controversial thing of it. Now, for, for my perspective, well, I think it's a change for the better. It is a, a modern step, but you know, it's saved, when you compare it to the 821 model, it saved 40 pounds. So kind of can't fight that, that argument. <clears throat> wow, that's a, that's a lot. So that can't all be in the frame, though. That's it not is. all just in the frame, as you said. It, it's got to be, there's a lot no, of other stuff. As no, well. no, no. So clearly the whole bike has taken a whole new generational step forward. Must have done. Yeah, correct, correct. So... They've saved weight in several different ways. You know, um, you know, just recalling some of the, the technical information, 
for a second, you know, like I said, you have 10 pounds saved from that frame. Um, you have another, I think three, almost four pounds saved in the swing arm. The wheels are about four pounds lighter. Um, the subframe is, you know, a little bit lighter as well. And then the engine, which was sourced from the Supersport 950, the Hypermotard 950, and the Multistrata 950 has also had several updates. Um, so it has lighter uh, piston and rod, uh, different clutch that's a little bit lighter, uh, updated cases that are a little bit lighter, and also a, a, a revised cylinder head, mainly to accept that front frame mounting point, and again, a little bit lighter. So the engine itself has also saved five pounds. Now you add all of that stuff up and you get a bike that is 40 pounds less. Now, it, it, that's one of those things that I don't think people realize is, is uh, uh, as sort of uh, important as it is because just think about 40 pounds. I mean, if you're carrying a 40 pound backpack and then you take it off at the end of the day, that feels pretty awesome. And for a motorcycle that has to fight a lot of different physics when you're going down the road, that's going to help its handling abilities significantly, which this bike has done. Well, it's, that, it, it is. I mean, that's absolutely huge. But of course, the, uh, you know, the purists are going to say, well, why not, you know, if you can save 40 pounds, why not just go with the conventional trellis frame? And all right, you've only saved 30 pounds. But that's still pretty, that's still significant. Yeah. But so if of that 40 pounds saving, going to the new style frame is only a 10 pounds difference a lot of people are going to say well i don't know we'd rather have kept the the ducati you know the trellis frame motif that that they're so well known for but i yeah. think we could probably sort of argue over that forever you know some people are just going to hate it and other people are going to like the forward thinking you know, yeah sort of uh yeah just te technology improves it, it does 40 pounds it's a massive difference it's massive yeah. And to Ducati's credit, you know, they've, they've built their brands around racing. Racing is integral to Ducati, just as it is to other Italian brands like Aprilia and MD Augusta. And with Ducati, you know, as, as well known as they are for certain things like uh, twin cylinder engines, trellis frames, you know, they, they aren't afraid of um, sacrificing their, uh, their own sacred cows, so to speak. So with the, the transition from, you know, the trellis frame superbikes and with the advent of the Panigale superbikes, which went to a monocoque design and then the front frame design, which is sort of monocoque-ish. It's, um, you know, Ducati isn't afraid to, to step away and, and color outside their own lines, you know, even if it does upset some of the, the uh, dyed in the wall. Right. Handmade. Sure. Sure. I've, I've only... I've only seen the bike. I've only seen the bike in pictures. Do you do you kind of like the look of it anyway? I mean, I do. I do. I, I think because I'm so used to what the monster is, and it's it still employs a lot of the same classic monster styling design cues. So you do have uh, what Ducati calls the the bison back uh, fuel tank. So that sort of hunched over animalistic fuel tank that's rounded at the top has a nice arch to it still has the round headlight and overall it's still a very minimalistic motorcycle which is what the original monster was meant to be it was just supposed to be everything that you needed for the street and nothing else that you didn't 
So I, I enjoy it. It's much more modern, contemporary, sharper. Um, and, you know, the monster has looked relatively the same in terms of its silhouette and features for almost 30 years at this point. So, yeah, it was time for a change. What's, uh, so where have they gone with the motor? So the, the motor is sourced from the Supersport 950, Multistrada 950, Hypermotard 950, like I mentioned before. But of those models, I would say it's actually tuned between the, the aggressive Hypermotard experience, which is really snappy and is fitting of the Hypermotard itself, its personality. It's extremely energetic in that way. And the Supersport, which is a little bit more um, kind of sport touring-ish, a little bit calmer. And the Monster is tuned right in the middle. So overall, it's, it's a very energetic motor. I would say that, um, you know, you get some really good, nice low-end torque right off the line. And then, you know, between maybe three and 4,000-ish RPM, the, the engine's, you know, pretty tame. It's, uh, you know, good for putting around town and that sort of thing. But once it hits, you know, 4,500, maybe five grand, you get this huge mid-range bump and it just, it revs up nicely. It's got a lot more, uh, it, it has a lot more urgency in it than when you think back to the old two-valve monsters way back when, which were pretty much only low-ends and mid-range and they sort of tapered off towards that later half of the mid-range power. This bike has a huge spread of mid-range power. You know, you're talking about usable grunt from high 4,000 RPM all the way up to about 8,500 RPM, where then it kind of flattens out and tapers off. But when you're in the canyons, all you got to do is just kind of settle into a gear, roll the power on and off, and you're good to go. So in that sense, it's actually really easy to ride and very user-friendly. Again, plain to what the monster always intended to do, which was be more of a every man or every woman's bike. Right, right. So w which actual model was this that, that you rode? I, I, the reason I'm asking is I'm curious if they're going to come up with an S version or even an R version. I mean, Ducati have a history of, of coming out with their sort of their base model and then, and then coming out with some pretty uh pretty hardcore versions after that so which one which one were you riding so to be super precise we were on the monster plus and the only difference between the monster and the monster plus is that the monster plus comes with the accessory seat cowl and the fly screen mechanically and electronically and in every other facet they're absolutely identical so right okay um, so it's essentially, it's probably the base model. Do you feel like there's going to be an S, S in the future or, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Or even an R, I mean, surely. You know, it, yeah. And, and the monster, because it's, it's taking over the position of the 797, the 821. Um, and as we learned from us representatives, it will also be replacing the monster 1200 in a certain respect, because in 2022 the 1200 models will be phased out um wow now okay that's not something that is set in stone maybe something will replace it but it does give that singular just monster name uh structure that ducati's giving this bike a little bit more weight um 
And to answer the question more directly, do I think there will be an S model or an upspec model? Yes. And the main reason I would say that is because right now this bike has non-adjustable suspension save for preload adjustment with a shock. And traditionally, Ducati has always offered those features on the upspec models. So, um, you know, the base model might have limited suspension adjustment or no suspension adjustment. An S model will have fully adjustable suspension. An R model might have upspec suspension beyond that. Sure. Yeah, typically with the R model, they'll go to Olean's and that kind of stuff. What brand of what brand of suspension is it running at the moment? Uh, honestly, it doesn't even say in the spec sheet, and I've wondered the whole time. Showa or KYB probably, but it has to be said that both KYB and Showa have their suspension. Their suspension is really good. I mean, you look at some of the some of the entry level, you know, Japanese bikes. The suspension is freaking awesome. So, you know, yeah. Um, Cool. All right. So, so presumably the handling on it, is it traditional monster? You've got a nice big wide handlebar. I always found the monster handlebars a little bit too wide, a little bit more than shoulder width. That makes it turn so aggressively. Um, but the Italians like doing that. I mean, they always have these sort of wide handlebars. Yeah, I would. What was, what was your feeling on, on the general handling and the turning of it? I would say that, you know, handlebar width, it's probably just just shy of narrow uh or sorry let me phrase that just shy of uh shoulder shoulder width for me i found the handlebar width pretty much spot on where i'd want it um and handling wise you know it's i, I think they've they've positioned this bike in a really good way because it's definitely much sharper handling than the 821 um but they don't take that to uh, an overly aggressive point you know you can make a bike that handles too aggressively it turns in too fast and that will intimidate riders that aren't really of that very sporting aggressive riding mindset and again i got to reiterate the monster is sort of the the people's motorcycle you know it's it's got to appeal to an extremely broad base so they did wake up the monster's handling when compared to the 821 and I would say that, that, you know, you don't have to put much leverage into the handlebars. The thing turns in very nicely, predictably. And even though they've woken up the handling, I would say they've also improved its stability too. So that's something that I really enjoyed about that bike. Um, and the suspension, you know, taking it back to the suspension. That's impressive. It's, um, it's, it is non-adjustable. And for someone of my weight, riding style, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it was... I would say about 85% of, of where I want it. Um, I, if I had adjustment, I would just probably add a little bit of rebound just to slow that, um, that rebound damping up and then just add like one or two turns of preload into the fork. But other than that, I was pretty good. However, it is a fairly sporty and stiff chassis. So if you're a lighter rider, that's where that adjustment would really help out because you'd be able to soften it up. You only rode this on the street, didn't you? Correct. You didn't ride it on track. Correct. Yeah. 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 So it's so it's got it's got street level suspension for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in true you know Ducati Italian motorcycle fashion, it is more than capable of wailing through the canyons with um, you know 
some some definitely impressive abilities. Um, we rode in the city in San Francisco, so urban environments. And in that context, I think it did really well. It's comfortable, you know, gobbles up potholes nicely. And then we went up to Skyline Drive, which is in um, uh, Pescadero, California, just sort of, I would say, southwest of San Francisco, out in the Redwood Forest. Really nice curvy roads. The only thing with those those kind of canyon roads is that there's some really sharp like insanely sharp um, bumps that the roots of the trees create and they're often in the worst places possible like right at the apex of the corner <laughs> and um, pretty much no bike does well with those because it's just a sharp sudden hit and um yeah, yeah, that's that's the only thing that you know. With that stiffer chassis, you will feel a little a little bit of that stuff. And again, you know, the rider weight is going to be a factor because you can't adjust the suspension. Right. Uh, what what tires was it running? Do you remember? Uh, Pirelli Diablo Rosso threes. Oh, so fairly high spec. I was expecting you to tell me, you know, Angel GTs or something, but Rosso threes. That's that's a decent tire. Yeah, the, the Prelli Diablo Rosso 3, I'd say that's a great tire for the um, for the application. You know, Monster's got to be a versatile all-around bike. People are going to commute on it, do some sport riding on it, probably do some limited range, you know, weekend trips. You know, they're not going across country on it. Right. But you need a lot of mileage, and that's, that's a good tire to do all of that and still get some sportiness with, uh, you know, good dry and wet grip. Excellent. Excellent. What was... Uh... Did it have any sort of um, what were the electronics and all the accoutrements? I assume it doesn't come with a quick shifter or any of that kind of stuff, but it must come with some kind of traction control and obviously ABS. So it it comes with the full regalia, you know. Oh really? It has okay. everything that. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So it has everything that a Ducati Panigale V4 V4 would have, you know. So you have. Wow cornering ABS, cornering traction control. You have launch control, which, okay. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, um, adjustable ride modes. Um, all of the modes are completely customizable. Um, and then you have, you do have an up-down quick shifter, which works very well, has good kill times. And, uh, you know, in that case, I, I would say that, you know, Ducati's done a really good job with that. Uh, the only omission when it comes to electronics that I'm a little disappointed in is the lack of cruise control because it's a street bike. People are going to be doing some long drones on the freeway. And I do feel that cruise control at this price point on a bike with that level of electronic sophistication, they could have had it. So, yeah. Yeah. If you're looking at a street bike nowadays, I think a lot of people expect cruise. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's great. It sounds like, sounds like a really good bike. Is there, so overall you, what was your impression of it? You really liked it? Sounds yeah. Like yeah. You know, I'm, I'm definitely into it. And, you know, looking at the overall spectrum of where it sits, it's going to be competing with your KTM 890 Dugars, your Yamaha MT-09s, your uh, Triumph Speed Triple 765 RSs. So that upper echelon of quote unquote, you know, weak wink and a nudge middleweight motorcycles. <laughs> but um it 
it definitely sets itself apart from those other bikes in terms of riding experience. You know, I would say that the KTM is a little bit more sport minded. It's faster handling, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the, the monster is really that sort of bike in the middle. It can do a little bit of sportiness. It, it is still very comfortable and, you know, it's, it's just a overall accommodating motorcycle. Whereas some of these other bikes might be focused a little bit more on sport riding or a little bit more on just common street riding. This thing is pretty much in the middle. So in that respect, they've done a good job. Okay. Well, terrific. Yeah. The, the only other thing that I want to mention with the, the monster is that the, um, the ergonomics are updated too. And that was a big, big, big part of this update. Um, so they scooted the handlebar back, you know, over two inches the rear sets are also scooted. Wow, two in, two inches? That's a that's a lot. It is. So you're getting that more upright riding position. Again, trying to achieve more comfort. Uh, the seat is nice and plush now. Uh, the rear sets are also scooted back about an inch and a half, and then they're also scooted down. Again, all this does is just make it a much more kind of upright, casual uh, riding position but then we got to go back to that lack of the trellis frame. So now the, the seat, the seat and fuel tank seam is super narrow. So basically the spec sheet calls out for a 32.3 inch seat height, if I remember correctly. And really I can get my boots on the ground all day long and I only have a 32 inch inseam. So the bike is more accessible to people that are a little bit shorter and might have a lower, you know, inseam length and it feels incredibly narrow not as narrow as say like the KCM Duke but narrow and then Ducati's taking it another step where they offer a low seat option which drops it down uh, like a half inch or so and then they also offer a low seat option with a lowering suspension kit option and that drops it down to just north of 30 inches total so Ducati really wants to kind of placate to a little bit of everyone um, with their their updated seating position and stuff like that and just making it more accessible uh, to a, a wider audience um, that's impressive that's it sounds great yeah it sounds like a sort of every man motorcycle but you've got the charisma and brand of a ducati yeah and yeah and that that goes into um what the monster is all about you know as good as it is, there are a couple little things that they could work out. You know, like like we said, cruise control would be nice. Adjustable suspension would be nice on future models. And we did notice this when we were doing some laps around um, downtown San Francisco. Uh, the engine can get a little bit hot, but you know, you're on a just just south of a thousand cc V twin motorcycle, and you're essentially sat on top of the engine. So. Yeah, you're going to feel some heat when you're not going to, you know, at, at any any decent clip. And that we're talking like when you're crawling through traffic and, you know, really just putt along. But the moment you actually start going, you know, the normal speed limit, the engine can breathe and you, you no longer feel that heat. Sure. Sure. What, what, what were the brakes like on it? I mean, Brembo's presumably. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have a Brembo. M432 calipers, uh, 320 millimeter rotors up front. M432s have been around forever. They're on a million different bikes. Uh, for this application, I think they do a really good job. 
And, you know, we got to think about the fact that M432s used to be on super bikes not so long ago. So right. fact is they do a good job. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sounds like a sounds like a really good bike that Ducati have have uh, sort of positioned in a in a in an intelligent way. They've kind of really trying to broaden the base. I would imagine a lot of people go into Ducati showrooms, you know, drooling over the new Multistrada or V4 Panigale, and they end up riding away on a monster. Yeah, I mean, you got to give credit where credit due is credit. Sorry, you got to give credit where credit's due because Ducati's overall lineup has expanded from, you know, the time of when the monster was, was released. Um, you know, way back when, Ducati only had super bikes and, well, sport bikes that were essentially super bikes. So the monster played a crucial role in just offering the sportiness of a Ducati in something that was meant for the road. And now they offer, offer the Multistrada, the Hyper, they have a fleshed out catalog at this point. And, and still the monster has a place, especially in a modern market where naked bikes do a whole lot of selling at dealerships these days. And um, the monster plays a big part of that. Well, it seems as though this episode is the tale of the two Nicks because having finished with Nick DeSena, we are now going on to Nick Einach in this next segment. This is where Nick, as I said at the intro, this is where Nick Einach tells us all about the Yamaha Champions Riding School. It used to be Yamaha Champions Racing School, I think, wasn't it? No, it was always riding school. Always riding. We initially got quite a reputation for racing, and we had to work work hard to beat that down a little bit. Right. So, so what was the sort of you know the evolution into that i mean what kind of got you into that yeah as usual pure luck uh god's grace <laughs> right and, you know those two things and what had happened we were at miller and miller owned us and ken hill and i ran it and uh, and shane turpin and and scott russell and you know dale Kiefer. i mean we had all all these fantastic remember those. instructors and uh, Miller sat us down and said, "Hey, uh, the car the car days make a lot more money than you guys do, so uh, you know, we're going to cut you." And we were profitable, but we weren't profitable at the, at the level of the car schools. And they were doing Ford, Mustang, and Raptor schools that were that were backed by Ford. So they sure. sat down and said, "Hey, you're done." And uh, it was tough because we were we thought we were killing it and uh, we were happy with it. And that was what, in, so. What what year? What year was that? That, that would be like oh eight, oh seven, maybe. Yeah, that was about thirteen. That was about 13. Oh, 13. oh. Yeah, 12 or oh. 13. And at that point, um, we we kind of poked around on what to do. And we got uh, a call from a gentleman named Josh Siegel, who was maybe a three-time graduate and really right. believed in the message. And uh, he he, you know, had enough money to say, hey, I can back you if you want to do something. So Ken Hill and I started uh, Yamaha Champions Riding School uh, level, you know, part two. And uh, Josh Siegel brought in uh, one of his friends who had helped him a lot and who also coached kids a lot and actually had sent his all the kids that he coached to YCRS at Miller and his name was Keith Culver. So Josh introduced us to Keith and uh, we launched YCRS part two in 13 and uh, started at New Jersey Motorsports Park as our home and then of course it branched out since. And since then um, we had, uh, we've had a bunch of evolutions but it's been going stronger and stronger 
month to month since 2013. That's that's great to hear. Now you obviously all of your training is on track, isn't it? I mean, it's you don't do any street training, but it is training for the street as much as for the track. I mean, yes. So we're we are on tracks most of the schools, but we are also on taxiways, in parking lots, and we're even on MSF courses plus some other rooms that we can figure out. We've been on helicopter landing pads, and those are with the Marine Corps. Uh, that we do level three Marine Corps stuff and in our champ street program. And we are even in, you know, uh, fenced off parking lots in Harley Davidson dealership. So we've really tried to expand and basically try to take the message to anywhere that uh, a group wants us. And what, what, what exactly is that message? (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is a relatively simple message. Um, and it is based on what are the best riders doing to win championships. And it's easy to say, well, they go really fast, but they go consistently fast. And that is the, that is the main term. And so what we do at YCRS is we find out uh, why these road racers can be so consistent at lap record pace. And we break that down into uh, explainable uh, bite-sized nuggets and that we put in a certain order. And as you remember, the, the order of the information is, is almost as important as the information that you can give it in a building block type of a way. And, you know, we, we, we make a joke in the morning. We, you know, I, I tell the students, hey, look at these instructors. And I turn around, I look at all the instructors and I say to the students, these guys are not smart. <laughs> yet yet they, they ride really well. And, and the point is some of them are of course very smart, but the point is that it, that I hear this sport getting so complicated and I hear it, I hear new riders being held away from it by veteran riders, veteran riders feeling that the new riders aren't smart enough to get it or et cetera, et cetera. So at our school, we make it very simple and straightforward. And because all of us are racing, I'm still racing. And I mean, I think pretty much 98% of my instructors are racing. Uh, We studied this really hard too, because we would like to go to a racetrack and win and never fall down again, which is a common goal uh, for all best riders. And when we apply it to the street, Arthur, the, the idea is, the, very simply is the motorcycle does not know whether it's on the racetrack, a parking lot, or a street. So Elkhart Lake, turn five, downhill left-hander, uh, the bike feels it could be on your favorite canyon road, downhill left-hand corner. It does not know, the tires don't know, but the bike will work best or it'll work very, very badly based on input from the motorcycle racer or rider. So that is, that is the very simple, uh, the right. very simple formula. What are the best in the world doing? And the motorcycle has no idea where it is. It just works well or works poorly. Right. Interesting. The, one of the things that really struck me about, or that I found very interesting after I did your school was I didn't feel that I was, we, we, I mean, I don't take this the wrong way, but I didn't feel like I'd sort of learned anything. I'd just sort of gone through the various routines that, that you did and, and I had fun and I enjoyed it. It was great. But I didn't have this sort of light bulb moment over my head. Go, Oh, that's great. Now I've done this two day school and now I'm a much better rider. I didn't feel it. But yet when I was riding on the road, I immediately discovered that I was riding at the same pace, but it was much easier somehow I was using, I was only using 70% of the mental bandwidth that I was before to ride at the same pace. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, everything became 
slower in a way, if you like, at the same pace. I just was more relaxed. It was just easier. It wasn't nearly, I wasn't white knuckling to ride at the same pace. So, so clearly I had learned something. I, clearly I'd learned a lot. It made a big difference. And it, but it wasn't a conscious difference, if, if that makes sense. Have you heard anything like this from other people or? Yes, and, and that's good input for us to hear as well. And the uh, on our sleeves and in, in our literature, you'll, the, the people will see faster, safer on our sleeves, faster, safer. Right. And, right. and some people might think, oh, that's such a cute slogan. But in fact, uh, you know, you coming into the school uh, and students coming to the school, they've got a family, they've got a career, they've got... Uh, we all have to be at work on Mondays. Exactly. <laughs> and so faster, faster will not do it without safer. And there's two right. ways to go. To, there's two ways to ride safer. One is to adapt uh, the techniques of what the best in the world are doing, and that's a fairly smart idea. The other way is to slow down. And then when you slow down, you 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 quit having fun. Right now, in Craigslist, uh, in my area, there's a bunch of bikes for sale, four, five, six years old, uh, eighteen hundred miles on them, for sale with an oil filter, all the gear, because that rider's done riding, and, and that rider didn't crash themselves out, but they scared themselves enough times to say. I'm not good at this. So that, that's one comment. The second comment, Arthur, is when someone like you comes into the school, a veteran rider has read a lot, knows a lot. A big part of what we do is we put a stamp of approval on some of the things that you are already doing. For instance, uh, we'll have many riders uh, after the first hour say, thank goodness you are prioritizing trail breaking because I want to trail break. And I've been told that it's racing only that I shouldn't do it. And of course, that's a big thing. Thank goodness you prioritize covering the brake lever because I want to cover the brake lever, but uh, I was told not to. So that's one thing. The, se the second rider that comes into our school is a rider that has heard the wrong things, been taught the wrong things about trail braking, covering the brakes, uh, when to accelerate. Those, those three areas would be very common. They've heard the wrong things. They've tried to ride with the poor information given to them and light bulbs go off. Unbelievable. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a whole different experience than you. They're, they're like, oh my, I'm so glad I'm here. I can't believe I was trying to ride this way. And the last thought on this whole thing is we do these Marine Corps schools. We're, the, we're a level three provider for Marine Corps. We do these level three schools. And at the end of all the schools, we do a, a student review. And I, I can't tell you how many riders, Marines say, we should have learned this from the very beginning. In other words, they learned, they learned the wrong way to shoot the rifle. And then a couple of years in, they heard uh, a, a way to shoot the rifle that makes a lot more sense. They're more accurate, more comfortable, and uh, that we hear that a lot. So newer riders, riders heard the wrong thing. It is light bulbs like, ah, I can't believe it. For riders like you that are into it, studying it, it is little tweaks and kind of a stamp of approval to where you are doing the right things more often. And as you felt, it's more comfortable, it's more fun. Well, it, it, it wasn't something I could particularly put my put my finger on, but you definitely... I can't honestly say what it taught me, but it definitely taught me something in techniques. I think it was mainly sort of, you know, the eyes up thing and, and more where to look and that kind of stuff. But it, it made a massive difference. It was a huge difference, huge and noticeable difference. Well, yeah, and that's, that's I mean, that, that's the price of tuition, really, where you're enjoying yourself sure. more. I know right. uh, you haven't been to the school for a while. And we, we uh, because I'm surrounded by racers, I mean, all, you know, all, all the owners are racing, I think except one. Anyway, I'm surrounded by racers. All the instructors are racing. Um, because we're racers, 
we don't really learn from the good schools, right? We, we, learn, we learn from the bad schools. We learn when we get beat. And when a student uh, would write in something and say, boy, you know, you really dropped the ball here. We actually would respond pretty heavily to that. When we have crashes at our school, we respond heavily to why did we have a crash? What did we do wrong as an instructor core to, to, to allow that crash to happen? So we have tweaked the school, uh, I mean, literally every class. And uh, my operations officer, Keith Culver will say, you know, hey, Nick, you got to write down the curriculum, you know, because you're getting old and who knows when you're going to keel over. And uh, I said, I said to Keith, I said, Keith, I'll write it down if you want me to, but it's not going to be the same next month because right. we keep getting better. And when we, when we make a misstep, we redo it. We, we get things right. So I would love you to show up again because now we've got things that, for instance, um, we've got information from, uh, from uh, Tom Halverson at Yamaha that the, the, the fork travel should be a certain place at the bike tip and when the bike tips in the corner, the fork travel should be a certain place, ideally. And that is a number that, that yeah, that you would remember and take back with you. And it's, it, it's, it's illustrative of us always trying to find ways to explain things better. So I think we're better at it. So what sort of level of, of rider do you, I mean, do you literally go from beginner all the way through or, or is it only expert level people? Yeah, it is beginner all the way through. We have, um, we've had, we had one rider show up and uh, he bought an R6 and he couldn't ride at home because he didn't know how to ride. So that was, that was, that was as I know, I know. We're just like, Gotta love the motorcycle industry. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but we'll have, we'll have, we just had a, a 10 year old kid come to the school uh, and he, of course, didn't ride on the street. He had do, done some mini bike racing and was getting an R3. Uh, we have a lot of that happen. And we'll have, we'll have street riders that have had a bike for a couple of years, but only put a couple hundred miles on it because they were so scared. We've had riders that are Moto America racers and want to tweak, you know, they just want to find a second and a half at their lap time. So the class is, right. is full of that, uh, of every type of rider. It is a little bit of a waste of money for people to come to our school to learn how to ride. But we will do that, right. but it's a bit of a waste of money. It's better that they can shift the gears, stop the bike, turn it, do all the, that stuff. That's, that's all you need. If you can start your bike, drive it around, shifting gears, stop and start, then we'll take over. If you're brand new to it, 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 would, it, spends, it spends at least a half a day in a parking lot with an instructor. Right. might be a little bit of a waste of money. But um, yeah, sure. and, and uh, yeah, sure. the, we, we, if, if our school doesn't work for every rider, I've, I believe we've got a problem. So that's, that's how we yeah. Okay. Right, right. So do you have specific, you know, specific classes for each one? And so it's a case of try and assess what level you're at and then you, then you join that particular class. Or do you, is it just homogenized into everything and they, you're, you guys sort of assess how somebody is? I mean, what if, what if somebody misassesses? Because a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm a pretty good rider. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, is, it, is, it becomes quickly apparent, doesn't it? So in our sport, thank yeah. God. Thank God we can't talk ourselves to the front, you know, because, uh, you know, right. it's, it'd, be, it'd be a shame. But um, so to, to specifically answer your question, we only categorize, categorize riders to put them in the right group for their speed. So rather than have a Moto okay. America racer in with a recent uh, new rider school graduate, uh, which would be terrible right. for both of them, the, the racer would be held all the right. time and the new rider would be scared. We separate those groups up. And our, our thought with this whole idea is since the motorcycle works best with certain inputs, 
we want to learn those inputs right from the beginning. So we don't tell a new rider, hey, you know what, you're, you're too stupid to learn this really advanced technique. And, you know, when you, when you're around for a while longer and you become as cool as us, then we might, we might, we might let you know, <laughs> which is a, which is a very popular outlook. Um, we say, we say right. to the new rider, would you like to learn to ride the bike really well? And the new rider says, yes, then do this. And we take them at whatever level they are and we instill uh, the proper habits. Sure. For instance, if your wife showed up, never been on the racetrack before, it would never be okay for her to enter the braking zone in the middle of the seat. And in, I mean, it, it could be the last lap that we see her run on the last day of the school. If she's in the middle seat in the braking zone, she'll hear about it because we know as we go quicker, that will hurt you. So that's, that's how we teach it. That's great. So, so, you know, do you have examples of specific type of exercises that you do that perhaps, you know, a rider might get an idea. It's like, okay, so what, you just let me loose on a track and I just ride around as fast as I can. And then you tell me that I suck. Yeah. I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, that's pretty much what we do is uh, we'll, we'll touch you on the forehead and uh, through that touch, we can realize how, how good you are. And uh, so we're going to be nice. So what the, I, the idea uh, is that, that we believe there's core, there's four core habits that, that the best riders have that have to realize. And in, in two or three of those, you could ride your whole life uh, thinking about only them. And the first is that hundred points of grip idea that we've done some videos on and I've written about a lot. And it was just a way to, to explain traction and right. uh, front traction being brake pressure plus lean angle right. that makes up front rear is brake pressure plus lean angle going in. But most of us are thinking about lean angle plus throttle coming out. So that if you, if you think about the loads you're putting onto the tires and realize that the tire takes a tremendous load uh, and that's illustrated through our two up laps, we'll put you on the back with a senior instructor and, and you'll get off the back of that bike going, wow, I, I had no idea right. I had this much grip. And the second thing the, the student would think is, boy, the instructor is so smooth. And you might think the instructor is being smooth to impress the student, but in fact, the instructor is being smooth because the load has to go into the tire smoothly, initial loads and final loads. So right. that's the first thing. The second thing is the, the, the student's start to think about what speed does to their cornering radius. And that's just a simple radius equals miles per hour equation. And that once you, once you realize how much you can affect your cornering radius with your speed and the best way to affect your speed is not roll off and hope, but roll off and pick up bricks that changes everything. And that's probably one of the things that, that you brought home with you even subconsciously is I will, I will use my brakes until I'm happy with speed and direction. Right. And the third, the third thing, is the, the mental focus of the best riders in the world or country or club, the, the riders who are winning have, a, have a, a mental focus that is kind of beyond the imagination of the, of the new student. The new student thinks that, oh gosh, they just run, need to run more laps and they need to ride by a dirt bike and they need to do some of those physical things. But the mental side of it is, is unbelievable. And that is the third core champion's habit is being in the moment, ahead of the motorcycle, always uh, with with eyes and, and mind. And then the fourth idea that we that we could ride along, ride on all our lives, is the realization that we're dying by running wide in corners on back roads all by ourselves, running wide in intersection corners, running wide on on ramps, and that is the number one place that we're dying. We're crashing the most in intersections, which is definitely solvable. Uh, but this one, this, this fourth core champions habit is the realization that, that all we're thinking about at corner entry, whether it's on ramps, uh, intersections, back roads 
is to get the bike pointed and ready to exit, get it in a position to where the rider can see through the corner, see it as clear or not clear, whatever else, and make a decision. And that that idea of getting direction is the fourth thing that we work on. So, you know, to to be as specific uh, as possible on, on what students learn, that is what we do. And it's easy to think, gosh, they shouldn't give away their curriculum um, on, on a podcast, but if, if we, if we don't fix our sport, Arthur, we're, we're going to continue to become badminton here pretty soon. Right. Good riders ride this way and ride all their lives with joy, with speed. They're in the A group at track days. They, they become control riders. They start working for me. This is how they ride. And if we can get these ideas into the new rider's mind as soon as possible, as soon as he got a, a, a idea to ride a motorcycle. Sure. So in fact, I, I believe that you and I talking about specific things is what will grow the sport, not just, hey, come to the track or come buy a motorcycle, it'll be fun. I, I totally get that. I mean, I think anyone listening to this podcast, it's going to be useful for them. I mean, it's we can sit here and say all day long, I mean, typically guys of our age and experience, we're all very pro training. And the first thing we'll say to young people is, oh, get training, get training, get training. And they must be sick of hearing it. And they're probably like, yeah, 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 okay, but this is expensive, and will I really get something out of it? I mean, do I, re- I mean, have any of my buddies done it? Probably not, eh. you know. So, I think it is smart to get a little bit more specific about it, so that people can say, huh, you know what? Actually, that might help. If you think about a, a comment that, and that comment is, uh, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. So you say, you you, you give this blanket statement, get training. And this, this, this new rider goes to the wrong place, the people that are teaching things that they came up with themselves. There's one group out there teaching, use the front brake against the throttle. So leave the throttle open and just pick up your front brake or leave your front brake on and pick up your throttle together. There's another video out that's, that says, brake, gas, turn. That's a video that's out there. Uh, over 100,000 views on that video. Brake, get off the brakes, go to the throttle and then turn and look at your face, your, 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 your face is, is, is exactly saying exactly what uh, all of us thought when we saw those. So wow. there's two instances. Wow. That's, yep. that's really <laughs> concerning. That is very concerning. Yep. And gee, why are we running wide in corners off the brakes to the throttle turn and radius equals miles per hour. The second thing we do with our students shows them that we're playing with our radius with our mile an hour. So this is a perfect instance of, of being cautious with saying, get some training because practice makes permanent. And you practice those wrong things over and over and right. over again. You start you start off start off with a bad habit and you keep practicing it. And it's it gets really hard to unlearn that stuff. Yep. And, and I yep. think I, I I definitely had a couple of bad habits when I came to you. And I remember there was one particular exercise of um getting through the getting through the cones, you know, slaloming through cones as fast as you possibly could. And it was really, it was quite interesting how what is actually a pretty simple thing to do gets hard as you want, when you start trying. Um, if you just sort of said, Hey, just weave through these cones for me. I mean, I could do it with my eyes closed, but if you say, try riding through these cones as fast as you can, it all goes wrong really quickly. And, and the sort of the training and the little techniques that you gave were really very interesting. And there was another one I remember that you did, and it was, okay, I'm going to sort of stand here by this cone. I want you to sort of come out of this corner as fast as you can. I want you to be doing at least whatever it was, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour or whatever. And I want you to break at the last possible minute and stop next to me. 
And again, a very sort of simple idea, but the techniques, people can go out and practice this if they want. They can go out into a park and not practice it all day. But the techniques that you actually taught and you, you give me those little tricks just to help you sort of do that and actually time it precisely and get that distance just right and get that speed distance right, I found very useful. So, so yeah, I mean, we can sit here and talk about the curriculum all day, and, and but actually it's not really giving anything away per se because yeah. you need you and your instructors to sit there and actually show somebody how to do it and to demonstrate it. But so in terms of, I mean, I don't want to get involved too much in the sort of financial side of it, but in terms of do you have a, what is a sort of a rough cost of, of of schools with you? So if somebody's going to save up their coin, what are, what are they talking about? Yeah, we, we've got quite a few programs. The Chant Day program is our least expensive, and that is is a it's a it's basically a track day with instruction. And I should say it's a track day with qualified instruction. It's going to be Chris Paris, Kyle Wyman, Isaiah Davis, Ben Walters, Lewis Ferrari, this type of instructing level, and that is only three hundred fifty dollars, and it's eight hours. It's a uh, 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off, wow. two groups, fast and slow. And it is, it is some riders show up and want a couple tips and leave me alone. I want to practice. And some riders show up and say, leave, leave me a little bit, follow me a little bit. I want to do a breaking drill. So champ day is a chance for people to get as much instruction as they like for a very affordable price. And again, following that idea right. that uh, we better grow our, our own industry by making our riders uh, healthy. Right. The second uh, single day school is called Champ Street. And Arthur, this has been the best way I've ever seen to get riders on the track for the first time. Champ Street is eight hours. It's about $600 and it is street gear only. You don't need race gear. In fact, race bikes aren't allowed and racers aren't allowed. Uh, any bike you have, bring it. We've had adventure bikes. <laughs> um, every, every, every type of bike has been there. Some guy um, turns up on a T-Max scooter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that'd be fine. That'd be fine. And, uh, and this is, this is for, it's a lot of instruction. It's a lot of drills. It's a full eight hours of a lot of fun. And we started in the paddock with drills and then we're on uh, 20 minutes all afternoon, every hour. And then we've got the whole hour at the end of the day, that's champ street. And that is huge amount of instruction and it gets street riders on the racetrack. It gets them introduced to the track environment, which can be, you know, it can be a little bit scary. You're gonna show up in someone else's backyard and everybody's hauling ass and, right. and, and but champ right. is a champ and it, it's a riot. And as you, I don't know if you remember, but we moved the cones around. You remember when I we did. moved the cones around? Okay, so Champ Street has that. It has two or three stops per lap. It has two U-turns per lap. I mean, it's like a real street ride. <laughs> right. and it, yeah, it is laugh out loud fun. And people have said that's the most fun I've ever had. That's Champ Street. And then the, the premier program that everybody's heard the most about because we've done it the longest, that's our two-day Champ School. It runs between $1,800 and $2,800, depending on the venue. Like Road Atlanta, big money. Right. Uh, it's $2,800. At Indy Motorsport Ranch in Arizona, yeah. I-N-D-E, it's $1,800. The two-day Champ School is what most people have heard about. That's where we videotape you. We video review every day. Uh, it's fully catered, van laps. It's a four to one student to instructor ratio. We have a maximum 30 people per school only. And we split that into two groups. So you're, you're rarely on the track more, with more than 14 other students. And uh, that, is, that is champ school. And I mean, if you have the time and the money, any rider 
that is the one to invest in because that is fully immersive and you leave after two days having a pretty solid plan of of your approach okay that sounds that sounds great so um obviously as the yamaha champ school um do do people bring their own bikes or do they just use your bikes or is it a mixture of both or yeah uh they bring their own bikes and if they rent from us of course it's yamaha all the instructors are on yamahas but uh it's bring any bike you got okay awesome okay it sounds sounds really uh intriguing and actually I'm sort of surprisingly affordable. I mean, clearly the Champ School obviously is somewhat of an investment, but the two more sort of entry and intermediate level um, classes are are very affordable. And really, I mean, when you put it into sort of real terms, when you consider the cost of literally just sort of tipping over on a bike because you do something not yeah. terribly smart and you fall over and you pick yourself up and you look at your motorcycle and you scratched up your bodywork and you bent a, a clip on and it's like, hey, 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 that is so for the cost of a set of Chinese bodywork on your bike, you could literally, I mean, I don't want to say prevent, I guess that's probably a little bit outlandish, but, but uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely well worth doing. I think that's, that's very encouraging. I didn't want people to get the impression that, oh, it's going to cost me a couple of grand or $3,000 to do this thing. Um, I want young entry level people yeah. to say, you know what, that's kind of doable. Yeah. And, and you know what, why do you put a pipe and an ECU upgrade and a shock on your bike? Why do you do it? You want to go faster. You want to go quicker. You want the bike to work better. And if, if people, I'm not saying all that stuff you can do whatever you want to your bike, but if you'll spend the money on the rider, you'll be blown away by the improvement. We'll, we'll make you 30% better while, while a pipe on an ECU. I mean, I, I don't know if it's even an over 5% better uh, motorcycle performance. Uh, they're, they're so good. So that's the kind of thinking that we try to get across to people. And the uh, I would love to do a story someday, take a rider uh, and put him on the trickest bike. We could probably get a national championship winning motorcycle, take his lap time on a track he or she knows, and then give them, put them through a school and take their lap time. And it would just be a huge improvement. And to prove it, all of my instructors ride stock bikes on a Dunlop Q3 Plus at the school. And you'll you see how well they ride. I, I want to make a comment about uh, practicing the wrong thing. We, we, we see this all the time. But the most, the most recent one, we, we did a Marine Corps thing at Yuma uh, two weeks ago. And they invited along two of the motor officers uh, from Yuma, Yuma Police. And... Those two guys showed up and said, oh, they told me later, they said, oh, we showed up and we knew this was going to be a waste of time. We're awesome riders. We get training every day, every year. We've been riding for 20 years and this is going to be so stupid. And they were blown away. Uh, they, they had the other four officers come to the next day of school. And then they signed up all seven of their officers for the next week, next week of school <laughs> and, and in Phoenix. And the, the lead sergeant, uh, Egan, great guy, uh, great rider. He said, we, we've learned a whole new way to ride a motorcycle. We were literally, we were stuck at, at whatever level we could ride. We had no path to improvement because of what they had learned. And they, they couldn't believe the difference. So that's a perfect example of someone who have ridden for many, many years, but not doing quite the right things. Right, right. I, I, I can definitely see that. And I think that applies to a lot of people. And whether it's conscious or not, essentially they've plateaued. I mean, their skill level has plateaued 
and they're sitting there thinking, as indeed I did, no, I'm a pretty competent writer. Yeah. I know I'm not yeah. the best, but I'm I'm a pretty competent writer, and you know I'm I'm not a slow guy. I I, I go out, I have fun. I've got a lot of experience, so I'm actually pretty safe. I, you know, it's all good. But oh my God, it made a huge difference to me. It really did. I was really I was very impressed. Genuinely, I'm not Thank just you. saying that. So uh, so I, I can absolutely see that. So it seems that whatever plateau you've reached, you might have plateaued it right at the bottom level and you're you're still on rung two and you've plateaued at that and you think well no I, I know how to ride a bike I'm pretty good there's a whole lot more to go and and actually that's sort of the fun of motorcycles really because we never stop learning we never never do so who, who do you learn of Nick which <laughs> <laughs> is you well you know I'm a boy a bunch of people I know when I was and the reason I'm so uh and so enthusiastic about doing what I do and what the school does is because I was helped so much by, by timely advice from the right people, the right advice at the right time, which helped me a lot. And, and uh, oh, you know, yeah, and I, I was lucky enough to, at the magazine, start a column called Lawson's Lines with Eddie Lawson. And every, every Grand Prix rise, race, he and I would talk, whether in person uh, in California, if he came home or over the telephone, when he was in Europe or wherever, and we would talk, and, and he would walk through his races with me, and I would do a story on it. It was it was really fun, but it, it allowed me to become friends with Eddie, and it, it, he rubbed off on me. You know, his approach rubbed off on me. As in, as in four times world champion Eddie Laws. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the world on two separate manufacturers. Right, and you know Suzuki eight hour winner, Daytona two hundred winner, uh, AMA Superbike champion, two fifty national champion. This guy is just insane. And as, as I got to know him and be around him, it, it, it really hit me that, boy, these guys have a pattern, you know, what he eats, how he works out, how he approaches racing, and it, they have a pattern to this. And, 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 of course, I was interested in racing. And then um, after my, during my racing career, I got a chance to sit with Thomas Stevens every national in 1991 when I, when I ran first ran nationals. And Thomas Stevens just had that really cerebral approach, obviously, a national champion as well, but his, his, his approach really helped me specifically on corner entry. I mean, all the stuff that we talked about, Scott Gray gave me great advice at the right time. And I would, I would not be shy to ask these best riders because I was a journalist, Doug Poland, I could ask him specific questions on or off right. the record. And, and that helped me a lot. Right. And, then, and of course, and of course, Freddie Spencer, I was just going to say, then I got to, to tang with Freddie and, you know, Freddie really prioritized trail breaking and, uh, he really prioritized that idea of turning in with the brake light on and that that helped me as well and I was I was almost racing by then but I, I believe I got I got even faster working at Freddy than I was racing and right. and so that's what inspired me Arthur and, and you know I still raced a little bit in Arma and uh, before my races I'll, I'll lap with Kyle Wyman one of my senior instructors Chris oh. Paris Isaiah oh. Davis uh, Lewis Ferrari some of these really quick younger kids right. and uh, we'll get done lapping and I'll say, so, you know, what do you see? What should I do? I mean, so I'm always asking right. someone who has the credentials to coach me. And that, that's a fairly important thing that, that we've got to be careful. All, all riders out there have to be careful where they're finding advice because um, mm. if, if, <laughs> if whoever's given their advice hasn't gone very quickly for a long time, I would be a little cautious accepting the advice because 
if you go really slow for a long time, that's, that's not the person you want to listen to. And if you go some, really, really quick, but crash all the time, that's not good advice either. So this is, and, and it basically gets to why we call this the champion school. What are the best in the world doing? Who, who really cares what uh, Pacific instructors doing? What are the best in the world doing? And in, in this case, we're, we're trying to replicate those things ourselves. That was what really impressed me about, about your school. And again, in those days, it was, it was uh, the Freddie school, but how, you guys had really taken apart and actually managed to analyze how we go fast. And it was, it was quite interesting because um, a lot of the, it's so easy for people to say, oh, he's just naturally talented. Yes. Oh, you're just naturally talented. No, you're, nobody needs to be naturally talented. Of course, some people you know, take to things more than others. But essentially, if you're able, as you guys have done, to actually analyze the fundamentals and dissect exactly the process, and here is literally meter by meter, as you go into a corner or you go into a turn, foot by foot, here is what the bike's going to be doing, here's what the rider's going to be doing, this is what you should be doing. And once you've dissected that and analyzed it, and you guys are capable of then regurgitating that information back to your pupils, that is where the gold really lies there are so many people i think that out there that are pretty fast guys and they've got no clue why and equally there are a whole lot of people that are pretty slow and they maybe think they're fast and they've got no clue why and i think that's really what will help would be helped by coming to your school is is listening to how you do that yeah that, that's that i agree because it's not majority rules you don't do what the majority of the people are doing you do what the very best are doing and Scott Russell coached for us for years and years and years. And you know, he would, he would introduce things to us. Like he would say, you know, I, I, I noticed that I, I breathe out at turn in as I turn in and drop my body into the corner, I breathe out and that boom, that becomes part of our curriculum because he's world champion, five-time Daytona guy. And you know, just that, those, that's how it happens. And so that how is how the curriculum came together and it continues to evolve. We just were playing with uh, body position uh, body position at turn in with Kyle Wyman talking about things and watching Grand Prix a little bit differently. So, and you know, what's important to, for people to remember, Arthur, is that the instructors and all the owners of YCRS, we have six owners and all the instructors are head over heels in love with motorcycling. We can't wait to ride again. I, I told my guys, I, I'm, I'm having more fun riding motorcycles now than, than when I was younger because of my appreciation of it as, 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 as you see the, the train coming in the tunnel. Uh, so, I think that if, if everybody will remember that when they show up at our school, it's not a bunch of people making a living coaching at a, at a school. It's a bunch of people living this life. And we want to go really, really fast and never fall down again. That's pretty much where we are. <laughs> That's the case. Yeah, I, I, I love that. It's, it's, uh, it's really easy for people to focus on the faster and not focus on the, on the, on the safer. But the fact that you you have both words in your slogan, I think is quite, is, is, uh, is very telling. So, okay, so just to sort of wrap it up, what is the best way of getting in touch with you guys and moving this forward? Well, before I tell you that, I have to say, when you said that, I, what really struck me is, you know, there's a fire in the belly of these instructors. There's a fire in the belly to, right. to help people, but also to, to increase our, and further our sport, both Wyman's, Cody Wyman, and, uh, and Kyle Wyman work for us. And they, they're, they own a dealership that's been in the family. And if, if, if the sport doesn't continue, their dealership doesn't continue. It's a hard day. And, right. and it's all through my group. And what really lights the fire, Arthur, is when my racers, like Chris Paris, 
finally go street riding. Rob Chicklow started street riding again, Brian Smith street riding. And when they go street riding with what we teach, that's when they go, wow, I see how we can change this world. If we could reach every rider in America, we would change the, the safety uh, patterns in America for rider safety, I, I guarantee it. And, and when these guys go street riding, that's when they learn, wow, this is much more than, than a track school. Actually, I was just gonna ask you one more question, actually, that made me think of something. We've got a ratio of, I don't know what it is, you know, three to one. I mean, judging by the traffic on our website, we have about a three to one ratio of, of Harley American V-Twin riders. And we've got a lot of young guys out on diners, tweaked out diners with, you know, hotshot suspension on there. A lot of sportster guys. These guys like to ride fast and some of them are pretty good. Yes. Would you, is this a school that's good for those guys? I mean, are you going to have a guy turn up on a tweaked out diner? Come to the champ school yeah it has happened uh, all the time baggers all the time uh, i got a real tricked out sportster in my garage so we're we're living that dream and one of the things that is that is not a very well uh advertised fact is that for the last 13 years in a row harley davidson's engineers have come to our school so for 13 years in a row hd sends their engineers to our school not to all schools to our school because of what we teach and now it's been Bosch engineers for the last five years, Showa engineers for the last six years. Wow, that's really impressive. Uh, so we are starting to get that reputation in the industry is that you come here to make your group safer and thinking along these lines that we do with. Yeah, yeah. so that's important for all the listeners to hear is that, that yeah, we don't, we don't push that fact a lot, but it's true. And it's, it's going to happen again for the 14th right. year. And the, the, the bottom line is that... Um, the, the bike doesn't know who's on it. It doesn't know where it is. It works best with certain inputs. And the, the, if you will get, if you'll take this for fact, the bike was designed by an expert rider. It was not designed by a new rider. They, they didn't find some, some guy who just got his license to say, Hey, Bob, what should our rake and trail numbers be? And what do you think our swing arm angle droop should be? And what size front tire should we use? They find expert riders and those expert riders become, um, manufactured testers by winning, winning a lot of stuff. Guys like Nate Kern, right? One of our graduates, Nate Kern with BMW. He is the one, one of the people giving inputs into these motorcycles. Roger Hayden, uh, our guest instructor, he's going to be at Road Atlanta with us next two weeks. Uh, Roger Hayden used to fly to Japan after he won the championships and give Kawasaki input on the 600s. So if you'll take for fact, the bike is designed by an expert, then realize the closer that we ride to expert, not to their pace, but to their inputs and their habits, the better the bike works. And that's all we push at Champ School. We don't care who you are. We don't care what riding you, we don't care what bike you're on. We don't care where you ride. We care that you ride the bike the way it was designed to be ridden by the expert at whatever pace you want. Awesome. That's really, that's fascinating. I love it. Okay. Well, I think, I think the audience, I call me crazy. I think they're all convinced now. I think that's it. You know, they're all going to sign up. <laughs> so how do they do it yeah 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 and you know street riders especially because arthur we're, we're not dying on the racetrack we're dying on the street yeah and we're dying on the street with very provable provable habits sure. in fact two of the main two of the main flaws in new rider schools are directly attributed attributable to the two places we're dying which is back roads by ourselves by running wide and intersections two flaws in new rider schools point right to those two things and it's completely provable and we'd love to get street riders out as much as possible and, you know, get on champschool.com, poke around on there. We've got a lot of videos and articles, our schedules on there. There's an eight five five number that people can call and talk to us. 
Um, you can you can email us, teach me at ridelikeachampion.com. Lots of ways to do it, but it's champschool.com, and that gets people started. And if if you you know if if you if you're losing the fun of motorcycling, if it's just not what you hoped it would be, the passion isn't there. You're scaring yourself. It's just not good. We will fix that. I mean, we will fix that. We'll show you. Here's two, three, four, five things you're doing opposite of what makes the bike course work best. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Nick. I really appreciate your time. Arthur, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. Good to see you. Bye. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to listen to the new episode. Thanks.